1: Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by E.P. Wealth. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing in more hints, tips, tricks, things to get you to retirement, through retirement, potentially leaving your heirs with a little bit of money, to a lot of money. My goal is not to get you rich quick although I am going to a short term trade that I'm going to initiate probably later this morning. There's one stock that I see that's just been dislocated a little bit too much and it's a high quality name that pays a dividend. Worst case scenario, I'm stuck owning a dividend paying stock until it recovers. Uh, Best case scenario, I pull off a trade. That's how I, I weigh things. Um, I never ever buy a stock that I wouldn't want to hold, just in case. And I probably do three to five trades per year, that's short term, and I probably accumulate more long term than short term in dollars to the tune of at least 70 to 30. One area that is starting to become more apparent to me that I'm writing down my notes, I keep notebooks. And I've kept them all in 25 years that I've been doing this. And that's sometimes I'll just go to the notebooks and do radio shows from the past. Uh, and it's fun because it's, it's good content. But one of the new areas that I've reached down recently is beware 59 and a half. It's a funny statement. But it's a tricky time to retire or it's that's the tricky years. Your life can break into phases. I think the first phase is accumulation. When you save money into your 401ks, your IRAs, your savings accounts. So there's the accumulation phase. The second is when you turn 59 and a half, the age you start withdrawing from your 401ks and your IRAs, something I call the retirement hazard zone, which lasts four to five years into your retirement. Third phase is your income distribution phase. Is you sit down your assets and enjoy retirement. But the outcome of those four to five years in between, 59 and a half to 65-ish, are a hazard zone. Now, who would have thought that 59 and a half, like when you were four, when someone would ask you how old you are, you're, I'm four and a half. You're still four technically, but you were throwing that a half in there for good measure, saying that you're almost a big boy five. So, 59 and a half is a hazardous area. There's no alarms. There's no flashing reds. There's no um, clouds, per se. There's nothing that's going to tell you that you're in, in for a bumpy ride. Your strategies that you start deploying at 59 can have a devastating consequence on your long-term goals. For a lot of people, this time is the peak of your financial curve when you're going to have the most money you've ever had. But timing is crucial. With more money comes the risk of losing more. Losing a sizable portion of your nest egg due to a stock market crash anytime in that hazard zone can have devastating effects on the rest of your life that it, you may never able to recover from. It's one of the reasons CFPs like Chad Burton and CFP Stephanie Richmond, both with EP Wealth. Stephanie favors two years of income in cash. Chad favors three. Now, again, for different people, to be different things, both the financial planner and the client. Remember in 2008, when you had friends who were getting awfully close to retirement and they lost 50% of their life savings? Their 401ks turned into 201ks was the joke. It threw them into uncertainty. People had no idea if they could retire. No idea how much their accounts would be worth. No idea how much income their nest egg would produce. And no idea how long it would last. I've got detailed projections on all of that. I'm not 59 and a half. But I'm also working at a time where I don't know how much longer I really, really want to work doing this. And I'm going to tell you one reason why, and it's it's going to be sad. I'm tired of the news. I love stocks. I love stock market news. I love all things stocks. But when I have to see stories about mass shootings in the United States, when I have to see political divisiveness that is embarrassing for our country, it sucks. And I, I don't like it. So, if I retire, it's not because I need the job or I don't need the job. If I retire, it's really because I want to get out of the new cycle business. So, 2008 was a period where we didn't know if you could really, really retire because the market got cut in half. 2020, it didn't even last about a month or two, but people were really panicked because they saw their 401ks drop 20, 30, 40% fast due to COVID. It all came back. In fact, I want to repeat one more time one of the dumbest stats that I have for you. In the last 100 years, there's been 104 corrections of 10%. And in the last 104 years, the market's always hit new highs. Talking about batting a 1,000, I was watching Aaron Judge last night. Boy, is he fun to watch. Just a big boy, um, yet graceful. And uh, it's kind of like the Barry Bonds era when Barry Bonds was hitting home run after home run after home run. You would tune in, Like ESPN would break out of like a college volleyball game to say, oh, here comes Barry Bonds. He's going to hit a home run. Okay, so back to the 201K idea. This area is really, really hazard. If you continue the same level of spending you started with and you're seeing the market get murder-related, Because you had, I'm going to draw four percent from my 401k. But if your 401k has become a 301k or a 201k, so it's lost a third to a half. Pulling the four percent out a year is really to mess up your sequence of returns. The best time to have a stock market crash is the year you die. But we can't we can't order that in, can we? Sequence of returns risk. This is a Chad statement, and I think he's going to win a Nobel Prize one day because of it. He won't really win a Nobel Prize, but it's something I really, really appreciate about him. This is where a negative return early in retirement could devastate your portfolio as you continue to spend, locking in losses, leaving less left to grow back from the downturn, and using high fee instruments like mutual funds and variable annuities, and what he refers to as trash product. All those problems start to compound. And they leave you running out of money before you run out of life. That's why I call it the hazard zone. The transition from growth accumulation to income and then the transition to protection. A couple of mind shift. Uh, if you were to see those as mind shifts, and there's a couple there in growth right now, I'm still in growth. I honestly don't care. The market falls 50%. I love it. I'm still buying stocks. And again, I'm counting for the 105th time if it falls 10%, it's for the 105th time, go higher. My best investments are when the debt markets are down 10, 20, 30, 40%. Or my best stock trades are when, when the stock is off 10, 20, 30%. Mature investors realize and may painfully remember, you can lose money a whole lot faster than you can re-earn it. If you go to a protective mindset, it, it can be a strategy you don't want to engage in too quickly. But protective mindset would probably stop you from losing 30, 40, 50%. As soon as you turn roughly 59 and a half, you can take money out of your retirement accounts without problem, paying any penalties. More importantly, it's the first time that you can move your current 401k into something called an in-service withdrawal. You can keep your current 401k active and in service while still contributing to it and receiving the employer match. This can be a strategic move for thoughtful investors who wish to gain the best of the 401k while adjusting their investments to better protect them from basically the retirement hazard zone. You don't want down years before you have your income plan locked in. Or you want to have enough cash to ride through those down years. When looking at a 401k rollover, it's important to seek a fiduciary. CFPs are considered fiduciaries. They're skillfully um trained financial planning for the second half of your life the retirement the protection the income stage you want to meet with a cfp in my opinion i meet with cfp brad four times a year and i go how have i saved enough will my money last in retirement is my family accounted for in my plan and he gives thoughtful answers like a financial planner should imagine the peace of mind that you get knowing your financial plans, not left to uncertainty or your quote unquote roller coasters. A lot of people think of stock markets. Imagine the feeling when you can answer those three questions confidently. Have I saved enough? Brad told me yes. Will my money last in retirement? Brad told me yes. And is my family accounted for? Brad told me yes. I feel really, really good with the CFP designation and with where I am in my danger zone, because I am thinking about leaving a high income job two and a half years. I'll probably still do one podcast a weekend kind of thing. I'm not going completely bye bye on you. I promise that. But the decisions that you make until you lock in your income and I will lock it in like a game show, like a Howie Uh, lock in that answer, and you hear the lock. Okay, computer, lock the answer. I'm going to lock in my income. I'm never going to look back when I feel I'm comfortable with that. So first phase of your life is accumulation. When you save money into your savings accounts, your IRAs, your 401ks, your house, things like that. Second phase is that transition where you're about to lock in your accumulation into preservation. And the third phase would be locking it in. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Need a referral to Financial Planner? Drop me an email, rob at Show. Join Rob Black in San Carlos Sunday, June 25th for Pints and
2: Portfolios, a less formal event at a local watering hole for those close to retirement with $500,000 or more in investable assets. Drop by Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 for a little sunshine, some financial chit-chat, and a complimentary portfolio review or financial snapshot from Ryan Ignacio, CFP from EP Wealth Advisors. Whether you're on the road to retirement or already there, this financial snapshot can provide... You with a second opinion analysis of where you are and highlight areas for improvement and opportunities for growth. Go to robblackshow.com and click the events tab. Find pints and portfolios and click to register. You'll answer a few simple questions about your situation, and your confirmation email will provide all the details on the event and how to schedule your portfolio review. Space is limited and registration is required, so go to robblackshow.com today. That's robblackshow.com.
1: Mainly this show is a news-driven show. And I would like to do that for you today, but I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break and a show. I'll cheat and tell you all in a streak. And one of the things I've said earlier this week and last week uh, was I kind of want the S&P 500 to get a little more broad for the first three months of the year we were talking about a market recovery nice to see then we started talking about why is it only seven stocks that are doing well the amazons the alphabets the microsoft's the apples nvidia and if you didn't own one of them you're saying you know i see the market's doing really well this year but not not everything is. And I said, I would like to see small cap stocks do well. Small cap stocks are an asset class. Tech stocks that are mega cap, they're still considered large cap. Unfortunately, we should have a new tier called mega cap. And maybe we will. This goes back to something that I learned 25 years ago. And earlier this week, I talked about how there's a horse race of all these different asset classes. And I was very, I I think, graphic with you about it. I said, the horse race starts on the left. And you'd have REITs, international stocks, small cap stocks, cash, emerging markets, high yield bonds, stocks, international bonds, gold. You get the idea. And all, they're they're ranked uh, 1 to 10 up and down, okay? They're all in the left column. And in one year, emerging markets might be the winner or the underperformer. And gold might be the winner in one year and REITs might be the loser in another year, depending on what year you're talking about. Like, for instance, if you're talking about 2008, there were a lot of losers. Emerging markets, international REITs, large cap, small cap, high yield bonds. Cash was got you 2%. Bonds got you 5.1%. Gold got you 5.4%. So in 2008, when we had a mar- volatile market year, the areas that tend to perform the best or the safest during volatility, uh, down years, did the best. There is something called the Callen Periodic Table of Investment Returns. I want you to look for it. I want you to like see what it's all about. And you can go to a website called Callen dot c-a-l-l-a-n dot com and get an eyeball and it's visually it's graphic visually it's pretty cool in my opinion um you may need your glasses because it's something you're gonna have to like take us you'll you'll figure it out fast um but you can see in 2003 emerging markets big winner Up 55% in 2003. Small cap stocks up 47%. Real estate up 40%. Um, Were there any losers? Income up 4%. Cash up 1.1%. And then you can pick another year and you'll see, let's go to uh, 2014. Real estate up 15%. Large cap stocks up 14%. Fixed income up 6%. Small cap stocks up 5%. High yield up 2.4%. Cash, zero. Emerging markets were down 2%. It wasn't a good time to invest in developing nations. Global countries, if you exclude the United States, down 3%. I want you to try to play with this concept in your head. Right now, what's worked really well in 2023 are the mega cap stocks. And at the beginning of this week, I said, uh, at the end of last week, the Russell 2000 had an outperformed day up 2.5%. I said, that's sweet because some of these asset classes I don't own. I don't own small cap stocks in my stock portfolio, but I do in my 401k and my managed accounts. This is the difference between a professional investor and an individual retail investor. I looked Monday when the numbers came in for what happened on Friday and my my 401k percentage wise moved higher than the percentage movement in my stocks because the small cap stocks had their day. I don't want to say every dog has its day. That's going to send you the wrong message. But the difference between professional investors and individual is the down years aren't so bad. And that's what it comes down to. Um, If you go stock picking, I'll beat you. I think of myself as the greatest stock picker of all time. I know that's silly to say, but that's the attitude I bring to the table. And yes, I've had a stinker or two in a 25-plus year career. But ultimately, I've really been at it from lower interest rates, an affinity for tech stocks, and being in tech stocks at the dawn of the Internet, then the dawn of social media, and then the dawn of artificial intelligence. Am I smarter than you? I doubt it. IQ tests. Let's just say there's some things I don't know a lot about. I don't know if you put a a square in a circle or a circle in a square. Some things I don't know. It the vast uncertainty of the stock market. It's more important than ever for investors to understand the benefits and limitations of diversification. Having the right investment mix for your situation is critical in good times in the financial markets, and definitely during the downturns. Market volatility poses new challenges for retirees and older Americans. As I retire, I want more (laughs) spread to things that aren't working as asset classes. In the world of stocks, I tend to say, buy more of your winners, sell more of your losers. In the world of asset class management that can be done through diversified ETFs or indexes, I tend to say sell your winners and buy more of your losers because it's a horse race that goes from left to right and they all move in the right direction over time. I don't believe in going to cash in volatile times. I believe in looking at the asset class that underperformed. This can be played out by a certified financial planner in Monte Carlo simulations to account for market volatility swings in the financial markets are an uncomfortable but inevitable part of being a long-term investor it's the calendar periodic table of investment returns and that is how i would look to start the idea of my portfolio um, that's more on the professional side and less on the i'm really benefiting from lower interest rates and right now, the, the retail investor is stupid. The retail investor goes, "Oh, I want one of those seven big tech companies." That's all they know. Notice the crypto isn't in there, but it'll it'll make their way onto it at some point. Um, avoiding big bets can help limit your downside, and avoiding picking stocks can limit your downside. Now, if you're if you've undersaved at your age, I get it. I get why you're you're desperate. I got an email from a man who's in his late 40s and hasn't saved anything, and he, he asked me to f- uh, about a small cap company that was under five dollars because he's trying to hit a home run. So let's start our first pure strategy show with the concept of the Callan periodic table of investment. C A L L A N. Do a little research start digesting you don't have no test this week no test next week find me online at robblackshow.com what's the best way to choose a financial advisor download our guide at robblack.com that's robblack.com powered by ep wealth the feds dot plot is going under the microscope today If you didn't know what a dot plot is, you probably will by the end of today's show or by the end of the day on the market. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use. I've been opening my day on Wall Street for over 20 years with Briefing.com and reading Mr. O'Hare's articles and other people as well. There's some great economic calendars there. You can punch your portfolio in and track stocks and breaking news on them. Um, A lot of great little features here and there. It takes some some exploring, though. Mr. O'Hare, Fed Day, are you excited? (laughs) Yeah, good
3: morning, Rob. Um, Always exciting, yes, to uh, hear from the Fed. Um, This one, though, uh, I would argue might be a little anticlimactic. It seems that the uh, market has a pretty good sense of what it's likely to hear from Fed Chair Powell and from the FOMC. So I guess if there's going to be an outsized reaction today in the market, it would result from uh, from what would be deemed a a truly hawkish surprise.
1: It would be kind of funny, in an economic kind of way, to start the press release by saying we're raising interest rates 50 basis points, because no one is expecting that. Why do you think it's? Why do you think we know so much about what the Fed's going to do? Everyone on CNBC, everyone on Bloomberg, seems to think it's a pause and that we may have to raise interest rates later if inflation. Continues to show its head every now and then. Why do you think it is that we know so much?
3: Well, I I guess you can credit it to the the Fed's own communication policy. Frankly, Um, I think under Fed Chair Powell, this Fed has been uh, more open with its communication channel in in terms of its signaling, and uh, and and you know you hear you know plenty of uh, comments from Fed presidents and Fed governors uh, that. Pretty give a pretty good sense of you know what they might do, and then and then you see the reaction, uh, you know, handicapped in the Fed Funds futures market, and and this is a Fed that has uh, you know doesn't really you know want to make a living out of surprising the markets, certainly in a negative fashion, and so it has you know pretty much gone along with what the market has allowed for it to do, based on what the market heard or thought it heard. The Fed these fed officials saying so we have a very very low probability of about five six percent uh priced into the fed funds futures market for any rate hike today so that's why i would say i said uh, it's going to be you know take something a really truly hawkish surprise here to get the market you know uh, acting up in, in a negative way i think and and uh and i think that you know um uh, but it all boils down, though, to the Fed likes to, you know, Powell likes to build consensus. I think he likes to have uh, less volatility, uh, believe it or not, in the capital markets. And uh, and they're trying to achieve that through an open communication channel that gives the market some pretty good uh, uh, insight into what's going to happen at any given meeting. And then I would add one other point. Uh, you know, there's a so-called Fed whisperer at the Wall Street Journal, Nick Timorells. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's seen as if uh, you know when he writes an article uh, a little bit before the Fed decision, it's kind of taken as a uh, as a little bit of a um, you know a, a, a unspoken message uh, coming out of the Fed of what they're likely to do. And the latest article from uh, from Nick uh, suggests that they're likely to hold uh, at this particular meeting, but also signal that you know they're still very open to the idea of raising rates again, possibly even as early as July.
1: You very intelligently, or I don't want to use brilliantly, I don't want to get too big of a head, but I thought it was very insightful in your article today, uh, waiting to not be surprised by the Fed, that you highlighted the Russell 2000s up 8.4% this month and the S&P mid cap 400 index up 7.3%. Amazing returns. You highlighted that the equal weighted SP 500 is up 5.7%. You also highlighted the NASDAQ composites up 4.9% and thus up 29.7% for the year. Phenomenal. Um, I, I think you're trying to say the breadth of the market's getting better, but the NASDAQ mm-hmm. still continues to push ahead. And is there going to be a problem with the large caps taking a break if we get the small caps and mid caps a little bit of time to catch up?
3: Um, you know, possibly at the, you know, the market cap-weighted level, right, Is because they are so, you know, monstrous, right? right? And so you can get, you know, if you get the Apples and the Microsofts and then, you know, NVIDIAs and, you know, those, com- those particular stocks, you know, consolidating, pulling back a little bit, it's going to create a, you know, a, a real headwind for the market cap-weighted S&P 500. But I think... You know, that's fine if you're getting reallocation into other areas of the market that have not participated, you know, very much. And so you get more of a churning effect. And ideally, I think that's what you would like to see happen. Um, there's so much concentration, it seems, in these mega cap names uh, that it's created some real doubts about the sustainability of this tremendous advance we've seen year to date. So to see market breadth widening out is an encouraging signal. And, and, you know, what's interesting about the equal weighted S P and 500, um, you know, being up, you know, 5.7% for the month, it's still only up uh, like 5% for the year. So what that means is that it was actually down for the year coming into this month. So, so the entire, you know, gain for the year has happened over the last, you know, what, 10 trading sessions or so. And uh, but that's, you know, that's that's been forged out of this notion that maybe the economy can achieve a soft landing um, or at least, you know, avoid a hard landing. And and also predicated on this belief that the Fed, even though they might raise rates again in July, is uh, close to actually being done with with its uh, with its rate hike campaign.
1: And it's been a long uh rate hike campaign on the upside. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are getting excited by that. Can you explain to me what you see in the dot plot? I want to go back to the Fed because you just talked about the economy not hitting a recession or maybe not hitting a recession. I think the dot plot has something to do with the thinking of the Fed and the dot plot and the economy kind of all tied together in my head.
3: Yeah. I mean, personally, I kind of hate the dot plot.
1: <laughs> Great. I love that.
3: Um, you know, it's uh it's just a bunch of dots on a page, right? It kinda maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't, but it's they're just their best guess as to where things might go. Um but, you know, uh I think right now, you know, the the projection coming out of that uh, March meeting, so the Fed updates these dot this dot plot and its summary of economic projections on a you know, quarterly basis here. And so, you know, they're projecting that the you know the, the median uh you know, Fed funds rate would be 5.1%, you know, uh, for 2023. And, you know, we're right in that neighborhood now, but what we're seeing in the Fed funds futures market is, you know, the potential about a 65% or so probability that the Fed will raise rates, uh, one more time in July. And then, then that would likely be the end of it. And so I think that the, you know, along the lines of what we were talking about a little bit earlier in the Fed, not necessarily wanting to, um, uh, um, surprise the market, if you will. It, it, it seems, given the mixed discourse we've heard from some Fed officials, who are there's a there's a body of officials who say we still need to raise rates more. There's another body that says, hey, let's wait. Um, but I think, in all likelihood, you see that so-called dot plot reflect at least one more rate hike. Uh, you know, before the end of the year here. And so there'll be some attention on that. And then the market can kind of get a better sense if it's right about this notion it has that the Fed could be close to ending its rate hike campaign.
1: Is there anything else that we need to be focusing on today? I know the market's going to make a major change or it has a different vibe after the Fed announces their decision today at 11 p.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Would be kind of interesting. Um, Is there anything we should be should we be looking at valuations, or should we be looking at the strength of the retail numbers? What are you uh, thinking out there, other than the Fed?
3: Well, it was interesting that you know the market did kind of gloss over the producer price index uh, release uh, that came out before the open today, and. You know, you and I have talked for a while, and you know that I've been kind of skeptical about the the ability to uh, live up to earnings expectations here in the second half of the year. And you know, um, but I, you know, you have to concede that that was a that was a good inflation report in the sense that it it offered some reprieve for corporate profit margins, frankly, because you see within the body of that report how uh, lower energy costs, lower freight costs. Uh, are helping to drive down uh, inflation at the wholesale level. Um, And so there's an encouraging trend uh, taking place there. And that could be supportive here as we move forward if that trend stays intact um, for profit margins, which have been, you know, uh, they've come down some, you know, from their peak, but they're holding up reasonably well. And so the key here now is to keep the consumer spending, uh, um, you know, pretty freely uh, and then you get some operating leverage there that helps boost the bottom line and that could keep you know profits growing at a better clip than what we've been expecting them to grow and that ultimately helps take some of the pressure off of what are perceived as some high valuations right now with the SP 500 trading at about a close to a 10% premium to its 10 year historical average but Uh, But if we get some improvement on the earnings prospects front, uh, then you can kind of tolerate some of those higher valuations, uh, knowing that inflation should continue to come down and that that could also alleviate uh, some of the pressure in terms of policy rates here in the future.
1: That kind of calms me down in a nice way. Um, Thank you, because I'm a little anxious about the valuations. In about 15 seconds or less, any last thoughts?
3: Well, let's let's keep our eye on those valuations. You know, so this is one report, one month. It's a good thing. You know, we mm-hmm. want to see this trend continue here, but uh, but we do have to keep an eye on the fact that the market cap weighted SP five hundred at least is trading at a premium. But there is some value there that's occurring still on the equal weighted basis uh, as that index trades at a discount to its historical average.
1: Good stuff, good stuff. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source of information. I've used the service for twenty plus years. We're waiting on the Fed today at eleven AM. Pacific Time, and then the news conference at 11:30. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. So, in this last segment today, I just want to get to some kind of potpourri, some grab bag, some financial tips, hints, and tricks that are left over from the week um hopefully that doesn't upset you i think a couple weeks ago i did a segment where i talked about my favorite stock analysts and how i use google alerts assigned to their name and their company and anytime something pops up i read the research or watch the video on them google alerts i can't possibly watch what Moffat nathanson's doing and jeffries and um akr but I want to know what some of the analysts like Michael Brown, Steffi Moore, Jason Jackson Ader, Jackson Ader. I always want to say Adler for some reason. Something weird in my head there. Uh, Brian Ching at Jason Morgan, JP Morgan. So I have Google Alerts. And that helps keep me up to date with their research. Now, to further this idea, there's also some analysts. There's some, um, big thinkers that I like to to follow who understand tech way better than I do. First and foremost, I learned one of my greatest successes in investing was back in the late early uh, mid 90s. And um, there was something called DSL, digital subscriber lines, and there was POTS, plain old telephone system, which is copper lines. And data travels way faster on digital subscriber lines than it did on POTS. Uh, the at and the Ryzens, you get the idea that modem technology was about to be changed. And when modem technology started, um, it took 50 minutes for me to download my first song in the 1980s. 50 minutes. And that, I may be exaggerating. It may have been longer than that. And I remember that if, the, if my brother would pick up the phone, the modem would hang up and I'd go, ah, I was downloading something. And my first song I ever downloaded, which is really weird that I I remember this, Twisted Sister, We're Not Going to Take It, which is really, really funny. But there is strategists that... Okay, so I found out about DSL by reading Wired Magazine. Wired Magazine is kind of a futurist thing, and they talk about, one day we're going to have cars that float, or electric vehicles, and there's this guy named Elon Musk. In this case, it was an article about digital subscriber lines, and it basically said there's a forum... From the companies that are going to be doing the technology to try to create standards. And if you can get in on the companies that are creating the standards, you can win a lot of money and invest it. And I did. I bought a company called Amadi. AMTX was the ticker symbol. And it rocked. But there was also three or four other names on that list that did really, really well as well. So, yeah, I still read Wired Magazine. I'm a little bit older now, and I think the magazine's a little bit more commercial. But back then, they were talking about some breaking stuff in the internet and download speeds. So, one guy that I follow who blows my mind is a guy named Ben Thompson. And he was talking about this week an alert went off for him on Apple's new Vision Pro. And you can watch the videos. Of this guy again, his name's Ben Thompson. He's with Strategery, so think of it as st Strat E Cherry, Strat E Cherry. So it's kind of like George Bush would say e, Strategery, and you'd be like, I think you just butchered your door. Strategy, Strategery. So he actually works, Ben Thompson, at Strategery, Uh But he talked about how the Vision Pro, the big winner for it he sees, is with Mac. Because you'll be able to interface with your Mac and suddenly have more screens that you're able to access, which just sounds like open windows to me. So that's where he loses me. Um, But that's where the whole spatial technology comes in as well. So I think you should always have somebody like him that you're always reading. I do not read anything about the San Francisco Giants. I I don't know who their lineup is. I'll watch a game, but I, I don't spend my time studying who's got the fastest down linemen. Don't know anything about football? I'm embarrassingly bad. Let's talk about some things you should never ever buy if you want to retire early. Um, some of this is gonna make sense, and some of this is you're gonna go bully, 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 bully. Um, luxury goods, high end cars, designer clothes, big vacations, they drain your savings. Um, I go back to my college days when my college girlfriend and I broke up, and I was trying to figure out what went wrong, and she said. I just enjoyed sitting on the couch with you. We didn't have to go to movies. and We didn't have to go to New York. and We didn't have to go big, expensive New Year's Eve plans. She just wanted to sit on the couch with me and eat, eat, eat corn chips, um, which we did. And that was one of our best dates. But we also drew each other with uh, charcoal. Kind of like the movie, The Titanic. Um, but before the movie, Titanic, just say. We were both, she's really good sketching. And now that she's 50 and she's married to an Australian man, uh, we follow each other on Facebook. And it's beautiful to see that she's never stopped sketching. So you don't have, especially when you're young, you don't have to go after expensive things. Um, If you want to be rich and retire early, don't do timeshares. Period. They come with hefty annual fees. They're hard to sell. They rarely appreciated value. Stay away from high interest debt or credit card debt. Right now, the average credit card debt's over 20%, uh, not debt, but interest rate is over 20%. If you don't get a 20% jump in your pay this year, you're struggling there to keep up with what you've already paid for. It's going up in price, more so than me, who's not carrying that debt. One. Speculative investments are something you really want to stay away from. Um, d- digital currencies are speculative. Now, I know you can make a case for it, but I'm telling you, they're speculative. Compared to... Caterpillar, and that's not a good example because Caterpillar's having a bad year compared to Coca-Cola, compared to JP Morgan, compared to um, something that's been investable for 50 years is different than something that's been investable for five or 10. Stay away from high-fee financial products. Stay away from unnecessary items. My wife has a coffee-making machine that's like 1400 bucks. We don't need that. Expensive homes, I would be much happier on a one level than a two level, but that's me. You can find me online at Roblox Show, Twitter, Roblox Show, YouTube. Rob Black Show. This has been a strategy show. I hope you've enjoyed. Join Rob
2: Black in San Carlos Sunday, June 25th, for Pints and Portfolios, a less formal event at a local watering hole for those close to retirement with 500,000 or more in investable assets. Drop by Sunday afternoon from one to four for a little sunshine, some financial chit chat, and a complimentary portfolio review or financial snapshot from Ryan Ignacio, CFP, from EP Wealth Advisors. Whether you're on the road to retirement or already. There, this financial snapshot can provide you with a second opinion analysis of where you are and highlight areas for improvement and opportunities for growth. Go to robblackshow.com and click the events tab. Find pints and portfolios and click to register. You'll answer a few simple questions about your situation and your confirmation email will provide all the details on the event and how to schedule your portfolio review. Space is limited and registration is required, so go to robblackshow.com today. That's robblackshow.com.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.